Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Accountant Podcast, powered by Harlan's Accountants. I'm delighted today to be joined by Andrew Gibb, founder, MD of Core Press Foods Limited. First of all, Andrew, welcome to the show. And for our listeners out there, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? But more importantly, what's your drive to get out of bed in the morning? Oh, many thanks, Darren. Delighted to be part of the, uh, the, the podcast. You can probably pick up already from my accent that I'm Australian. I've been here 11 years. You'd never know, though, but you'll be pleased to know my children have got nice West London accents. I'm the founder of Cold Press Juices. What Cold Press Juices do, we launched in 2011. We make Cold Press or HPP juices. So basically, virtually all the juice that you find in supermarkets or everywhere is pasteurised. Anthony Rossi, the founder of Tropicana, way back in 1956 invented heat pasteurisation, which is a way to preserve our fruit juices. It's, it's great. And brands like Innocent and Tropicana that you see on shelf today use that technology. But what HPP is, is uh, it, we basically use cold pressure to preserve our juices. So basically the good things in fruit juice, the fresh fresh taste and uh, the nutrients, the vitamin C, et cetera, all heat sensitive. So with our process, we, we cold press the juices and so they have a longer shelf life, taste fresher. And I've been doing it for about 15 years and uh, I first started in Australia with a company in 2006. And so I suppose being a pioneer of HPP juices and trying to pay the mortgage and make a living out of it is uh, what gets me out of bed in the morning. Cool. Perfect. So it's obviously touched on cold press when it kicked off and stuff. Can we rewind your journey back a little further and obviously going back to the days of being down under and what your career looked like? Yeah, sure. did a Bachelor of Business Marketing at, at Monash University, which was an absolutely uh, fantastic uh, accounting subjects in, in hindsight back at uni, but they certainly weren't my strong point. But uh, I think about how much numbers are part of my uh, my, my day. Uh, yes, yeah, so I had a pretty classic FMCG upbringing. I worked for companies like Mars Confectionery, Julux Paints, big retailer, Coles in Australia. You know, I, I got headhunted a few times and uh, all that sort of stuff, but I hated the big politics of uh, of big companies, uh, especially a company like Mars. They're the same all over the world. Like, wonderful experience, but uh, I didn't enjoy the the politics and, you know, I wasn't good at, good at playing the game. Started my own marketing consulting business in 1996, did a bit of some food marketing there and all that sort of stuff, but got introduced to HPP technology in 2003, was employed to do a feasibility. These basically with regard to fruit, if growers don't sell their, their grade one fruit to supermarkets or grocers, basically it's fed to the pigs. And so the brief was there's this new technology. If we don't, it was uh, peaches, apricots, stone fruit, 
that these growers were going. Are there any secondary markets for these? We looked at making fruit preparations for yogurt and stuff like that. But what I noticed was I didn't know anything about food was, but I was going out to big companies like Parmalat and Nestle and stuff in Australia. And I was just so interested in in this technology. You could feel that there was a real stickiness about it. You know, why are they giving this this two bob market at the time of day with these fruit preparation. So anyhow, to cut a long story short, there was we did another study in 2005 with these fruit growers and there just wasn't the feasibility to use this cold press technology to make fruit preparations. But uh, for them, but there were, you know, for peaches and apricots, but there did seem to be a market for raspberries and strawberries and other mainstream fruits. So started Pressure Fruit, an Australian company in 2006. We we actually worked with CSIRO. We, we actually made our first commercial products, which is the CSIRO in Australia. Is the, it's like Leatherhead, I suppose, over here. It's a government research institute. And we started making these. Oh, what The story was, uh, you know, I was doing boring consulting work and I asked my wife for a leave pass and said, look, I think there's some real traction in this business. I want to spend our 50 grand worth of savings and uh, I want to stop working. And she said, well, all right, but you've got six months. If you don't get it going in six months, you're going to have to get a real job. We started making these fruit preparations for yogurt, and that was really exciting. We were the first people in the world to use this this technology to make fruit preparations. But then the competitive response from um, the the players in Australia and the the dairy price tripled. We always knew that there was an opportunity for HPP juices, but basically we we raised money, we got this new factory, and we basically found that our our business making these HPP fruit preparations uh, had had disappeared overnight. So we pivoted to juices, and um, it was a, it was a master. Master stroke. We had wonderful juice partners and we started making HPP apple juice and firstly got it listed in Woolworths in Australia, then in, in Coles and, you know, I was one of the top 100 Melburnians. Well, then then what happened in 2009, we entered these awards over at uh, in Germany at uh, one of the big food and drink shows and our HPP juices from Australia were voted best new juice, best new beverage in the world. And, you know, we were, you know, just this tiny little business from under, from Australia. And and I came over to Europe in 2009 and just couldn't believe, and 2010, that no one was using this technology to make the juices. So I sold out of the business in Australia and started Cold Press in 2011. And But I actually, our first customer was Waitrose. We actually launched into Waitrose. Uh, about uh, almost 11 years to the day. I was still living in Australia. Later that year, Tesco said that they were going to list us and uh, it was like, oh, dear, I think we're going to have to, you know. It started as a as a bit of a party trick, this business between me and a, another mate who was my original backer. And, you know, by the time you get listed in Tesco, it was like, well, I'm going to have to pick up the family and move over here and here we are 11 years later. Interesting, very interesting. Obviously, we're delighted that you're in the UK, Andrew. We won't, we won't have any of the Australian English, English hatred going on today. <laughs> Looking back on sort of that journey right now, and picking up your family is a big thing, especially going from a country that's notorious for having nice weather versus the sunny UK. If you didn't get listed in Tesco, would you have done that? Was that the deciding factor? 
Yeah, it was absolutely, absolutely, um, and uh, you know, uh, no regrets. But you know, it was it was in, well, getting listed with Tesco. You know, it was like, well, hang on, guys, we've, maybe we've got a real business here. You know, HPP juices in the UK this year will be about a sixty million pound business. So you know, back then we were the the very first. So. You know, we had stars in our eyes and, yeah, so we didn't have the the manufacturing. We had no infrastructure and, you know, we're still pretty light on infrastructure. But, yeah, that, that was the turning point. Cool. So, obviously, the food and drink sector is very fast-growing, like making decisions overnight. Like you say that, I'm going to travel to the other side of the world because my business is kicking on. If you were to now clone yourself for someone that was looking to kickstart in a food and drink business, what would you say the most important personal <clears throat> trait or the strength would, they would have to have to become successful? Yeah, well, this is going to sound a bit, you know what one of my greatest strengths in the early days was? Was just how bloody naive I was, you know. Naivety sometimes is 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 a beautiful thing. So, you know, like we had, who could have predicted, you know, Brexit, COVID, the war, you know, like what, what, but, you know, with regard to what my, my recommendation there is firstly tenacity and tolerance for risk. You know, if there's a, a characteristic, I've been, if there's a word that describes me most, it's, it's tenacious and, and uh, you haven't, but it's tenacious because you've got to survive basically. So, but what, um, so definitely, tenacity, risk tolerance, ability to move on your feet. But what gives you an ability to move on your feet is, and, you know, I really, I still don't understand the education over here, but but my degree that I studied, my Bachelor of Business Marketing, like I love that degree because it gave me a toolkit. It gave me a toolkit, an ability to analyse markets and trends and Harvard case study method or whatever, but, you know, SWOT analysis or Porter or all that sort of stuff. I was given tools where, well, hang on, you know, you can – it's not quite accounting, but you can, you know, you can quantify and you can analyse risk. And there's no way that I would have had the courage if I didn't have that skill set that was, you know, inculcated with me with, you know, with really good, you know, strategic marketing subjects and things like that. Cool. So obviously back in 2011, you were probably seen as an entrepreneur, whether you ever called yourself that is some people do, some people don't. Everyone loves a productivity hack. So over the 11 years that the business has been going, do you sort of have a go-to thing? What's your routine to help you get, get through the day or get jobs ticked off your list or anything, Andrew? Oh, well, nothing but I'm still pretty old school, mate. You know, I'm no spring chicken. Nothing nothing beats writing down and, you know, like a, a, a to-do list sort of thing. I, I tend, Even to this day, if I tend to write something down, I tend to do it. But, you know, with that, uh, you know, we're a small business competing with, you know, really big, you know, Tropicana's just been sold to private equity, Innocence owned by Coca-Cola. But my, my favourite thing that I'm really enjoying at the moment is Ocado, you know, the online retailer yeah. is one of our and is one of our uh, best customers and fastest growing is that 
But the beautiful thing about Ocado is when you buy their data, you actually get all your competitors' data. So I'm not spending 50 or 100 grand a year on Cantor or IRI Nielsen. I'll spend a thing cost me a grand or whatever to sign up to this Ocado thing. And um, it's, it's, you know, I can spend hours on it from the point of view of, you know, and because it doesn't just have my data, it has, and Ocado is not a bad microcosm of the whole market. So, and, and so, but whether it's, uh, um, I actually saw a bad thing in the Times about them today, how they're not going to achieve their, their long-term targets and all that sort of stuff, but they're a data company and the data that they provide you, um, you know, it's just, it's just brilliant. It's just so far ahead of, um, what, uh, you know, other suppliers and stuff have in, have in the market. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 that's something which gives a, a small brand like us an opportunity to, you know, to then, you know, get the same level of insight as our big competitors do. I'm going to ask you to reflect now on the last 11 years of Core Press. What's the one thing you look back on within the business that today you would say was a success? But back then when you were doing it, you definitely didn't expect it to be. Yeah, well, the the one that, and I, I suppose, you know, your listeners are looking for, for you know, some some little little uh, pearls. The first one is, macro one, is like I've made so many, we've made, we were pioneers with this technology, like every mistake that could possibly be made with this technology and stuff like that, you know, we, we've made it. And, um, but it's a godsend. So, you know, with regard to, you know, learning learning from mistakes. But I'll give you a more recent example. We had we got an offer to produce some lemon and some lime juice, which is a food service product. And you can't, you know, we make fruit juices that you drink, but we got this tender and they wanted one litre of lime and lemon juice. And so we begrudgingly sort of made this lemon and lime juice for this this one customer, but it, it has been the, the greatest door opener uh, and it's been the greatest. So since then, A, that business has just absolutely exploded and from that they've taken all our our core range uh, and then, you know, we've been wanting to get into uh, Cisco and Brakes, which is, you know, one of the huge um, uh, box movers over here, you know, because we launched that product, we've since been listed into to them. So, you know, the the key message is, is well, the, the main one that I wanted to make uh, there was um, learn by your mistakes and your failures and but try to minimise the loss and the, the best way of doing that is making mistakes on other, with other people's money so you know when I was when I had my classic FMCG uh, marketing upbringing with Mars and Julux and Coles you know I learned things there some things that worked and you know there were some things that were disasters so you know if you've got an ambition to be an entrepreneur you know what what I love most is that it was like every job that I did prior to this, was like it was sort of it provided a, de- a degree of training for this this role. Cool. So let's talk a little about Cold Press, and we're approaching the end of 2022. All of a sudden, that's happened very quickly. What's around yeah. the corner for the brand in the next six to twelve months? Well, first thing is it's you know surviving like the. Everything's recalibrated. Like surviving's winning these days, you know, with with COVID and 
you know, interest rates, you know, I was just on the, the phone this morning to a, uh, you know, we thought we had a new trade finance facility for our for our purchases in Europe and, and you know, we're all set and, and that's fallen through. You know, I, I, and I'm sure there's thousands of businesses that are the same, but, you know, the working capital challenge is perennial. But, no, we're really excited that the fastest growing segment in the uh juices in the moment is the shot market is the little small 80 mil 60 80 mil shots with ginger and turmeric um we're we're launching into that category next year which is fantastic and but what we're doing is we like to do things with a business what cold press's mission in life is we want to democratize juice we want the the taste and nutritional benefits of cold pressed HPP juices to be available to as many people as possible. And a 60 or 80 mil juice shot is two quid in um, Sainsbury's or Morrison's or, or whatever at the moment. And so we're going to be launching shots, but we're going to be launching as a big shot. So it's going to be a 150 mil juice shot for the same price as a, as a standard shot. Moving into new markets and segments, you know, with this 150 mil format, there's there's massive uh, opportunities for us in transport and food service, you know, like we'll have a new format where we can sell to airlines and stuff like that. So we've currently got one manufacturing site in Spain, which is where we do, we like to be close to the fruit. Now, this time next year, we're, we're hoping to be operating from three sites in Iberia, you know, one for shots, one for orange juice and one for our, our, our apple juices and smoothies. So, um, you know, the, the, the outlook's pretty positive. Sounds very exciting. Last couple of questions from me, Andrew, and I always ask these ones. So, Andrew of today versus Andrew of then, what's that one piece of advice you would be telling Andrew of then? There's a few. Study harder at accounting. <laughs> it's just amazing because uh, it's just such an important part of my life. And and it's the same with the other thing. There's a lot of science in my business too. So I wish I'd done wish I'd done a bit better in the science and the accounting subjects in hindsight. But learning about things like work cash is king, you know, and working capital. And it's the hardest. It's 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 but you know, managing your working capital. You know, our business is growing 60, 70%. Uh, year on year at the moment, but I, I, I never realised how uninspired I could be because it just, you know, for every 70 or 80 grand that we grow in, so we need that in cash to fund that growth. So time, value of money, cash flow, beautiful things. If you're an entrepreneur, something I didn't know what dilution was uh, when I first started out, but I'll give you the tip, mate. I know about it now <laughs> when you're having to raise money. So, yeah, just little things like that, you know. But uh, um, don't trust anyone, you know, is this, you know, you've got to be, you know, measure twice, cut once, you know. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest mistakes that we've made is because, you know, when we've, we've, we've chosen the wrong partner, we haven't done enough due diligence and or we've, you know, gone for the, for the easy option. If, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Okay, perfect. Just uh, going off topic slightly here, you obviously mentioned around the dilution thing and stuff like that. So have you gone through a number of uh, investment raises and stuff? Yeah, we have. You know, with my trade finance thing that I discovered this morning, it looks as if we're doing another one too. 
We we did our first capital raise in 2017 and we've raised three or four times since then. That was a really big one, which ended up being a disaster. Not so much the capital raise, but what happened to the business after that. You know, we, we had a couple of lean years. Okay. So last question for me. One of our core values is we love to learn. So we always ask every other guest, how do you learn? Who would you take advice from? And if you have that one business book or recommended read that you would share, what would it be? There's nothing quite like, you know, I'm passionate about our industry and our technology and stuff like that. So trade shows, talking to your competitors and your customers and your wholesalers, nothing beats that. If I know that I know that your your listeners are really interested in grocery case studies, there's only one magazine that I subscribe to and it's still an indulgent which is the grocer which is the it's published by William Reed it comes out every week and basically that's the bible I'm, I'm more concerned about getting press in the grocer than I am in any other publication in the world because that's the closest our job in life is about getting listings with regards to recommended reading and stuff like that my favorite and he's my favorite author is a guy called Nassim Talib He's written, his original one was Black Swan. Uh, he's written, but the book of his, which I really like, is a book called Anti-Fragile. Uh, and it's uh, it's basically a book about how to survive in a world that we, this was all written pre-COVID and everything, how to survive in a world uh, that we don't understand. And, you know, there was, I just took so much from that book that I've applied to my business. I'll just give you one example. He talked about, you know, organisations for the future and, you know, one of the best analogies that he gave was terrorist organisations, how they're these loose, tight, you know, they can collapse and reform and, you know, they're very flexible and, and you know, malleable. If one area gets hit, they reform in another area and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I've, I've applied that same sort of logic to, to cold press, you know, as a business, um, you know, we're a head office with two people here in Spain and most of, you know, most of our staff are in London and, and you know, we use contractors, you know, trusted partners. We've got about three or five to bring that and it's not dissimilar to what, you know, Nassim Talib was talking about in this um, anti-fragile book. Perfect. Love that. Final question. How do people find you? How do they find out more about the brand and the best, best ways to get, to get to try one? Our website is coldpress.co.uk. Uh, we've got a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, our handle is at coldpressjuices. We've got a great shop. Best place to get us is we're listed in Asda, Ocado, uh, Waitrose, a lot of Nisa stores, but we've also got our own shop. And our biggest customer is Lidl. So we actually sell our brand and, and we make private label for Lidl. So that's where you can find us or, or, or online. Perfect. Just want to say thank you for your time today, Andrew. It's been great getting an insight and finding out more about the brand. My pleasure, Darren. Good luck with it all. Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield.